This morning, we are in the sixth and seventh chapter of the book of Revelation. We've been looking in the book of Revelation now for several months, and we've come to this uh, this section of Revelation that I'm defining as chapter 6 through 18 or 6 through 19, a little bit of an overlap there, that I believe uh, shows seven years of time that, uh, that God gives us some details about what's going to happen at the end times. Seven years, two, three and a half year periods. And my understanding is that John has been invited and has entered into the doorway of heaven and beholds this vision of what the angel gives him about the end times and events that lead up to that. God has given John this incredible vision. Uh, and uh, his vision is of the earth, it's of heaven, it's of time itself. It is uh, the end of humanity as we know it. And it certainly is a picture of God's final victory over sin and Satan and death. Well, these chapters 6 through 18 seem to describe this seven-year period of great upheaval and change and horrific and, and uh, incredible events that will take place here on the earth. I've said before several times in this series that there's nothing I believe that needs to happen before these chapters uh, roll out. Once the, the rapture of the church takes place, we could be at that day and that hour and that moment in this seven-year time period. We could be in the very beginning of that today with what's going on in our world. The term Great Tribulation, I want to talk about that for a minute. The word Great Tribulation is found here in these chapters in Revelation, but the word Tribulation is used throughout the Bible to describe many different times and places where both God's people will be in tribulation and the enemies of God will be in tribulation. We kind of use that term and it kind of has come into my thinking as the great tribulation as being the end times. And in a sense, that is the word used here in chapter 7, great tribulation. But also, other places in the Bible tell us about the tribulation that will go on. So when we say, are we living in tribulation absolutely I don't think there's any of us that look at the events of our world or for that matter the first 20 centuries of the church and would not say there's tribulation there was tribulation in Daniel's day there was tribulation throughout the Old Testament there was certainly tribulation in Jesus day in every century of the Christian church there's been tribulation and I'm sure and I've had people talk to me about this and say well pastor don't you think we're living in the tribulation today the truth is, yes, we're living in the tribulation today. The great tribulation is a specific term about a time period, I believe, as, as uh, John records in John uh, in Revelation chapter 7. So are we living outside of the tribulation? No, I think we're living in the tribulation. But the events described in chapter 6 through 18 are about a specific time period, as best that I understand. I also want to say again, and I've mentioned this a couple times, but I think... It's, uh, you may be here for the first time in this series, or you, know, you may wonder what I'm thinking. My messages from the book of Revelation, I, I try to find in them, what does God speak to me about? I know that there's a lot of detail. There's a lot of, uh, uh, there's a lot of passages and places where 
There's a variety of interpretations. I look at these events in chapter 16 from a certain theological perspective that I have. But when I say that, I don't mean that I know everything about it or there might be other interpretations that could be true. In fact, one of them particularly is that idea of when the rapture take place. I kind of classify myself in this large category as premillennial. Many of you have heard that term, and it's a theological term, but that term and that understanding is there is going to be a thousand year reign after Christ comes back. That's what I see. That's what I understand. I also think that the rapture is going to be the very first event of all this that we read in the book of Revelation. And so when I present what I think and I, uh, how I view and understand these scriptures, it comes from the perspective of the rapture happens first. There are some people that believe it comes later, and I understand that. And I wouldn't say that there's not scriptural reason to, to base any of those theological positions that people have. But my perspective is I believe Christ is going to suddenly come back and take his believers. And we live in that day when that can happen. That could happen. That may happen. That likely will happen very soon. All throughout the Bible and related to the end times is the term, it will come soon. Come soon, Lord Jesus. And Jesus talked about how quickly it will take place. The reality is, no matter what century you live in, the coming of Christ is right there at the door. And more and more in the 20, this century that we live in, more and more we see events that, that remind us of all these events of the travail and the persecution and the tribulation that take place. And the more I've studied in Revelation for this series, every week I just... I feel stronger and stronger that, that it can be very, very soon and it's going to happen in this generation. Uh, I don't know that. It may or it may not, but it just seems like everything in our world is pointing toward that. And, well, why does that matter? That matters because God wants us to be ready right now for Him to come back and to be aware that, that uh, the second coming, the rapture, is on the time table of God. There is a month, there is a week, there is a day, there is an hour, there is a moment that Jesus is going to come back and take His church to heaven. And it could be any moment at this time. I kind of laid out a little bit of an outline for these chapters from chapter 6 to chapter 19, beginning with the rapture of the church. And then then you have these three series of sevens that I've talked about the importance and meaning of the number of seven, uh, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls. Last week and today, I'm talking about the seven seals. The seventh seal leads to the seven trumpets. In fact, the seventh seal kind of encompasses those events that are talked about and told of the, the seven trumpets. And then following the seven bowls, the return of Christ. And then chapter 19 and 20 and all that will happen with the final judgment and rewards that God has for his people. So the great tribulation is to come. Tribulation is already happening. Certainly if you would talk to people that are being martyred and persecuted for their faith today, there's a sense of a great, or a great tribulation in their lives and the church and the world. So maybe depending where you're at, you think of tribulation in different ways. Since the day sin entered the world, there has been great tribulation. In fact, from Adam on, there has been tribulation because of the consequences of sin. 
and the devastation that it brings. There was great tribulation and has always been since Adam's sin. And also Jesus spoke of this event of great tribulation. In Matthew chapter 24, 21, we kind of looked at this briefly many months ago when we were talking about the end times, but let me read a few verses from Jesus' words in Matthew 24 about words that are almost exactly uh, uh, described by John in chapter 7. For there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. Jesus is talking about the end times here. And reading in the, 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 the version that I have, uh, Jesus says, there'll be tribulation unlike has ever happened before. And then you go on a few verses down to verse 29. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. We're going to read these words in just a couple of minutes from this chapter in the book of Revelation. Jesus prophesied. Jesus told exactly what we're going to read about in these words in basically chapter 6 and 7 and 8. The same words. And that leads us to this kind of chronology of events. Uh, I'm, I'm presenting today this sequence of the end times that you find here. Seven years of horrible events that will take place described here and will culminate in the return of Christ, the second return. The rapture of the church is not the second return of Christ. I mean, you can think of it that way, but in, this, in the rapture of the church, Jesus comes and takes Christians to heaven. In the second return, He comes back to rule over the earth and the events that take place in chapter 19 and 20. All of these events are shown to John following the opening of the scroll that we have talked about in recent weeks. And that only the lion, the lamb, the Christ is able to bring about these events that we find described here. Uh, Jesus, the lion, the lamb, the story is told in this scroll with seven seals. And we're beginning to open those seals and see what God has planned. Well, last week we focused on the first four seals. The four horses and horsemen of the consequences of man's sin. I said last week that everything in the first four uh, seals are not necessarily God's events, but it's the consequences of man's sin. And the first four seals, you can almost take God out of the equation, and what is described here is simply the consequence of man having his own way. I said last week that the first four horsemen, God withdraws something from the earth for these events. Again, the beginning of these seven years. And I think it can be described as God has, God has withdrawn His Holy Spirit. There's no Holy Spirit to speak to men on the earth at that time. There's this time period when man has no no reservation of evil. There's no pulling him back. There's no bridle whatsoever on the heart of man during this time. And it unleashes this horrible, 
That's not even the right word. Horrible events of the first four seals as we talk about these four horses and the consequences. The first one is a white horse and believe that signifying peaceful conquest. Some great leader or leaders will arise and events will take place and everybody in the world will say, oh wow, look what man's accomplished. Uh, he solved all his problems and everybody's happy and everybody's agreeable and everybody's getting along. There's plenty of resources and people aren't fighting anymore and, and that person will be proclaimed as God. And for some time period of this seven years, maybe even... Three and a half years of it, some people believe you'll have this peaceful time of these seven years. And then the next three and a half years will unleash all these events very quickly. You have the red horse, the horse of war, the black horse, famine, that follows war, and then the pale horse of death. All of them are sequential consequences of man's evil and man having his own way and God withdrawing his spirit to, to even slow down or stop. Then we had the fifth seal that we just read of last week, but didn't take much time. The fifth seal, I call it the seal of the martyrs. The seal that reminds us that there are a number, many, 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 many people under the altar in heaven who have been given white, white robes, who have been killed because of their faith. And somehow God has collected their souls together in a special place in heaven called under the altar. And there they wait the justice of God. They wait the, uh, uh, the return of Christ. They're in that place and they're protected, but yet there's not a finality to God's restoration. And the fifth seal reminds us that God is watching them they're told to wait a little bit longer. They're told that God has seen them. All this in chapter 6, that God has seen them. Uh, God knows about them. God is watching over them. He's providing for them in some way, which is, of course, a mysterious way. He, he provided white robes for them. And, he's, and they're told to, to wait a little longer. That they yet have not seen the justice and the finality of God's hand and the victory. They haven't seen it yet, but it's coming. And, and they've told to wait because there are others that will join them. You notice this fifth seal here in describing these seven years is a word to those that have been martyred that God sees them and God's holding them, but they're not going to be alone and others are also going to go through a time of martyrdom. And that is going to continue in these seven years, these last three and a half years. But in this fifth seal, we, we have something of God's giving comfort to us. We're going to come back to the fifth seal in, in about three minutes. The sixth seal is the seal of the beginning of God's wrath. The sixth seal is specifically God's wrath on the earth. Up till now, I think you can look at the first four seals as being the wrath of of the consequences of sin. God removing His Spirit. In the sixth seal, you have the beginning of God's wrath. The earth itself, the earth itself is ripping apart. You think the creation is ripping apart. 
for all the inhabitants of earth to see. We can only imagine what this is. The destruction to the physical world itself and to cities and to homes and uh, to any agriculture, to any industry. It's the breakdown of the creation and it is the judgment of God. First we see the wrath of God in the great earthquake. Earthquakes are, are described throughout the book of Revelation. And this is the next to last one. This is called a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. Goat hair. The moon turned blood red. Is this a consequence of the great earthquake? It may well be. Some people think, well, you know, when you have volcanoes and earthquakes, it throws up all kinds of things into the sky and blocks the sun and affects the moon. And it's possible. So it begins with this great earthquake. Uh, then you have this sense of foreboding and darkness covering the sun, changing the moon. And then you have this curious falling of the stars. I'm not sure what that means. But the whole heavens are, heavens as we talk about the sky, are convulsing and changing. That which God created in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Think of that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now on this day, that will be a part of the sixth seal. There will be the undoing of the creation that God made of the heavens and the earth. What that means and how that will look. The mountains and the islands will be removed and moved. There will be a shaking. There will be a tremendous upheaval of the earth. There will also be spiritually, of course, as God brings this judgment... There'll be great fear. People will be afraid, of course. They will be afraid. They will be fleeing to the caves, it says. See, Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 24 too. This is a great passage to go back to what Jesus said and think, well, this isn't the first time this is being said, but Jesus gave bits and pieces about this judgment of God. The fear that will exist in these days will be Incredible. Knowing it is God's judgment. People will know it's God's judgment. It won't be that people will just think, well, climate, you know, they, they blame it on climate change. Or, you know, they know it's God. But yet, they won't repent. It shows the very depth of what sin does to the human heart without God. If you know that it's God, and you know His power, but you won't turn away from the sin. And that's what these days describe. <coughs> you have the fear. You have the, the fleeing. Verse 15 and 16. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves among the rocks of the mountains. And then listen to this next part. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who sits on the throne. Wow. They will know who sits on the throne. 
But the human heart without the advocacy of the Holy Spirit gets darker and darker and turns away within sin. Man cannot redeem himself. Man cannot turn to God without God's prevenient grace. This doesn't mean that there will not be opportunity during this time because there are and many will come to faith for those that choose to. But during this time, it will be hard. If one rejects the truth of God in this time period, there's no hope. It's like God seems like He's saying, I'm not quitting on you but I'm quitting to beg you. That might not be right. I'm not sure. But somehow during this time period of described in the sixth seal of what's going to happen is people will come to faith, but it will be genuine people who humble themselves before God and open their hearts and their spirits to the power of God. And there will be many who will be saved. It will be amazing. And then we come to chapter 7. Chapter 7 describes two events regarding God and His people. Chapter 7 is a comforting chapter in between chapter 6 and chapter 8 in, so, in many ways. Chapter 7 describes two events, two promises of God in this seven-year period for His people. And it's a reminder, this chapter 7, that the church even in times of great tribulation and even in times of God's judgment, is God never forgets His people. God never forgets the church. He never forgets the martyred. He never forgets those that are going to go through the tribulation. God always, even in the end times of His final judgment, which is coming, even in the midst of that, God is thinking about His people and His arms are extended for those to come to Him and turn to Him and He will watch over them. It also is a reminder to me that none of the events that we read in these chapters are outside of God's control. As horrible as they are, the earthquakes and, and all the fear that will come up from the people because they are rejecting God, God knows that. He knows what's going to happen to the church. He knows the martyrs that have been and will come. So, these two events in chapter 7 are comforting in some ways. Certainly, they reassure us of the reality of God's hand on His people. They're reminders of God's mercy. They're reminders that God is a merciful God and He provides for and, and, uh, and, and will help His people. Remember, this is a short time period, relatively speaking, compared to all the tribulation. I wonder if you take all the tribulation that's happened in the world and compare it to the last three and a half years. I, I wonder how it will stack up. I wonder. Of all the suffering and the pain that sin has caused since Adam, all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the days of the church, to these days that are described in these six seals. And then you have this judgment. I also think of these two promises as they reach into the past and describe in part the past. Certainly the day that John is describing, the end times, and then all of eternity. And so these promises 
are pretty neat to look into the past, present, and future of God's power. They're about God's power. These promises are that God has power over evil. He has power to bring about the good. And though these days will seem so dark, uh, they're preparing God's people to see His hand for all of eternity. I hope if you're here today or you can listen today that you'll be here when, I, when we go into chapter 21 and 22. Because these are difficult chapters and I've always said pastors should not uh, uh, avoid difficult passages. There's a reality about the book of Revelation that's very difficult. And we as Christians can kind of go past it, never read it, never think about it, or maybe we can look for what God would say to us in the midst of that. And I do have two things as I move toward closing. I didn't say I'm closing, but about what I get and I take away from this passage about these two promises. The last thing here in this list is God sees His people. He sees His people. Okay, we'll look at the first promise. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. I don't have time this morning to go into all the details of this first promise. Mentions 144,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel. I'm not going to focus on that today because I do want to talk about something that I think comes to me out of this. That is the same number described in chapter 14. Maybe when we come to chapter 14, we might come back a little bit to that 144,000 and what it means. But what it says is God is going to spare a certain amount of people that are on the earth from the destruction of the seven uh, uh, seals and the seven trumpets and the seven bowls. For whatever reason God has chosen, He promises the church that there will be those that will be saved during this time and God will keep them from the destruction that is happening and going to happen. He promises the church that He will preserve a certain number of people who will come to faith in Him. He does not say here that He will protect all the people during this time period of the Great Tribulation. In fact, we know that He doesn't. And later it's described. But He does promise that He is going to spare some of the people by His mercy the horrible things that are going to happen. They will have the protection of God. The Lamb will protect them. And it begins with a seal that's marked on the forehead we read in chapter 14 of these 144,000 people. God says, I know them, I mark them, I will seal them. This is the same word I understand that is talked about earlier in the New Testament that promises the seal of the Holy Spirit on us when we become believers. God seals us with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not going to be present in this day on the earth as best we know. But God is giving them a certain seal in the lack of the Holy Spirit that will help them and bring them through this time. That's the first promise of God. They will have the protection of God. They will endure to the end. The Lamb will protect them and be their shepherd. The second promise 
It's for those who have endured and lived through persecution and have been martyred. And so these two promises cover both sides, as I see it. Those that God is going to spare from this great tribulation and those that God is not going to spare and they're going to have to live through it, which is pretty description of all of human history. There have been people from the beginning that have had to endure all kinds of things and choose whether or not to believe God and trust God in faith. And to a degree... Us, every one of us, have different things that happen in our lives that we have to decide, are we going to believe and trust in God in the midst of what's happened to us or not? Some of you have had very difficult things that you've gone through and you've had to weigh in your mind. As you do, do I believe in God? Am I going to serve God? Am I going to hold on to my faith? And I kind of think these two, these two groups are kind of, at least to me, descriptive of... of uh, of that question of faith that all of us go through. Are we going to believe in God no matter what goes on in our lives? It seems descriptive of that anyway. Whether or not that's the purpose of this text, I'm not sure. But I get that from this, and I, I'm, I'm confronted with that question. If I was in the 144,000, would I have faith in God? And if I was in those that were martyred for their faith, would I hold on to faith in God? Because there's, there's clearly both in this seven-year period. There will be many that will be killed for their faith. They will be martyred and it, it's going to be ugly, painful. People will have to choose whether to take the mark of the beast, as we'll read later. People will have to choose whether or not they accept the world order and the new leader and all that comes with that that we speculate about as we read these, these chapters, 11, 12, 13, and 14. Uh, people will be able to decide during this great tribulation about their faith in God. It will be different because as best we understand, there won't be the Holy Spirit. There will be events of God's revelation though so that every man on earth, it seems to me, every single human being on earth will have an opportunity to choose Christ during the Great Tribulation. That's, what I, that's how I see this. God isn't finished inviting people to come to faith. He will give them everything they need. But, I think back to the Scripture where it says God is not slack concerning His promises. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. You think of that powerful Scripture that tells us that, that God is only waiting because He wants to give people an opportunity. And as the end is going to come, there will be a day when the end will come and it, it will be over. But even in these events of the seven years, we will see God giving every person an opportunity to come to faith it will be different than our opportunity I, I in several ways if indeed the rapture takes place and christians are taken it's not that god is withdrawing truth from the world god's withdrawing his holy spirit that provenient grace i believe that will speak to hearts constantly but he still has ways much like he would have done in the old testament where his angels will come there will be <coughs> god's presence at time to speak to the hearts and give every person an opportunity. So if you're looking for something comforting about this time period, think about that. Every person, I believe, will have an opportunity to turn to Christ. Christ is protecting His people. He's watching over them. He's promising them. To those that will be martyred, He speaks to here in chapter 7. After this, I looked 
And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing for the throne and before the Lamb. Go down to verse 13. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where do they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So it seems like here in chapter 7 we have a forecast of what will happen as these seven trumpets and these seven bowls will, will, uh, 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 will take place. There will be those that will not come out alive. They will not survive to the end. Some will, but many will be many. And it may be for them, unlike us today, is every one of them will have to choose between Christ and Satan. That's one of the, one of the many horrors of this time period. We choose between Christ and Satan, but we're not aware of that. We, we're not, you know, I don't think too often we're shown that. Okay, you're choosing this or that. Although it's, it's true, but here, I mean, they will choose between Christ and death. I think that's what this is saying. And God knows that. He sees that. And He sees this great, John does this great multitude. Dressed in white, carrying palm branches. This, I think, this great multitude around the world, I mean, it's descriptive of people that have been martyred before, but especially it's descriptive, as Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 24 of this time period. Many from the past, every nation and tribe and people. I wonder if it's the people today in China or, or Iraq or wherever who are martyred for their faith. But I know it, it's written especially about those in the future. This is the promise of God. You may think, well, what are you saying good about this, Pastor? Well, this is the promise of healing that God has. God promises healing to those that have been martyred. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There's a promise here about all those that have suffered in life. About all those that have gone through these horrible times and things that have taken place. He will make all things new. This is the promise of healing. This really is a beautiful promise. It's hard for us to understand that in the light of time, our lives, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, whatever the life of someone that has suffered, and to the degree that they've suffered. We all are in different places. I mean, I mean, I, I'm way back, way over here about suffering. I just haven't, I haven't suffered. Uh, not very, not anything like so many people around the world. But God's aware of every single person and what they've dealt with. You know, that tells me that in eternity, God will take every person's life and He will make it right. I don't know how. But this just gives an inkling that every person's life is so known to God and will be replayed by God somehow in eternity that He'll make it right. 
How that happens for people that have been martyred for their faith, I'm not sure. But just these words remind me of that. There will be somehow, as from uh, Asland, if you know what I'm talking about, uh, what's he say there? They say of him, uh, he will make the wrongs right or something. If you've watched that, Chronicles of Narnia, you know what I'm talking about. He will make the wrong right. And I don't know how that happens, but I get that inkling here in chapter 7 and later on when we read about the, the leaves of healing and all those things that somehow God will take time and He'll somehow transmit into eternity something that at that point we will all look back and say, oh, wasn't God merciful and just and loving and all-knowing and all-present. You know, now we believe, we try to believe that, we want to believe that, but we struggle with that. God, why do you allow this to happen? Why do you allow these people to be martyred for their faith? Why do you allow children to die? Why do you allow abuse? All those things that are horrible to us. And we have no sense of being able to explain them about God. And sometimes if we get cornered, we get to the place where we wrestle with our faith about it. Chapter 7 to me is a great call in times that we wrestle with our faith. That God knows. God sees. And God will make it right. Somehow. Sometime. The healing of God. I'm thankful that chapter 7 is in there. Without chapter 7, it would be a lot harder to keep working through Revelation to me. Then we have the seventh and final seal. All I want to say about it today is, well, let me read it. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Silence and heaven hasn't been silenced since the day of creation. All those people or all those angels and beings worshiping God. Can you imagine silence in heaven? How heavy, how big that is? Do you know what it means? If you do, would you tell me? Between now and the first of January. Because I plan on laying aside this study in Revelation as of today and picking it up in January as we move into Thanksgiving. I really want to preach about Thanksgiving next week. And uh, I think what I feel will come out of Revelation actually, but silence in heaven. If you could go somewhere and just be quiet, turn off your phone, turn off the lights, turn off the noises around you and think about what silence in heaven must be and why. Why after these first six seals is there silence? What does that mean? Just invite you to think about that. See what God says to you. Uh, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank You for the book of Revelation. 
I thank you for these incredible chapters and events and things that John saw. They pique our interest. They pique my interest. They, they prompt me to think about all kinds of things about the nature and character of God. And today I'm thinking about the, the God will make all things right. I don't understand why today, but I have to make a choice of faith and so did those who've lived in the past. So do those today that live in places where they must give their lives for their faith and those that will go through the, uh, the tribulation who will come to faith in Christ, but then they will have to, to endure such suffering to hold on to that faith and how evil, evil Satan is and what Satan has caused in the story of humanity. God, teach us what You want us to, I pray. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for those that have been so patient here today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank You for Your patience today. Thank You for being here. God bless.